it is fun to continue to walk through the Apostles' Creed. As we have said all throughout, if you want to worship God, the scriptures say you need to worship him in spirit and in truth. So truth, good theology is necessary for our relationship with God. And we don't worship the creed. It's a helpful tool to understand the Bible. Our theology all comes from his word. But the creed, as we go through the Apostles' Creed, is a wonderful tool to help us understand his word. Basically, and it really does, it helps me, as I think of the Apostles' Creed, it's kind of like the cliff notes of the Bible. Like, all right, here's the major things you need to know. Like, this is going to be on the test. Don't miss these. So what are the core truths that we need and to kind of hammer down, make sure you have these. So we're walking through that. Where we find ourselves in the creed now is the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints. This is interesting and hopefully understand a little bit of the flow, right? Good theology to understand theos, to understand God, but... Right theology must result in right relationship. The Bible, you always kind of see that flow, even in each kind of maybe letter or epistle. They'll start here, understand this about God. But what does that mean for our relationships? And that's kind of where it's shifting as we turn our attention to the church. We got to get the vertical right, but vertical reconciliation must have horizontal ramifications. What does that mean for us in relationship? And it is interesting, right? What is the creed? It's kind of the cliff notes. Here's the core things. So this is the only part, the only particular relationship it dives into that we need to understand. It doesn't go into, hey, and as a Christian, make, here's how to be a good dad. The church isn't just a human organization. It is God's divine institution. And if you want to be in right relationship with God, if you want to have that vertical intact, you must understand the horizontal ramifications of relationship within the church. And that's where we're at, and we're going to unpack that. We got to define what we mean when we say church. I'm guessing almost everybody in here at some point said the word, right? Get ready, we're going to church what did you mean what do we mean when we use that word i mean whatever thousand plus people here if i were to get everybody to write a definition we'd probably about have about 900 different ones right so that's what we're gonna do for most of our time and we say the church i want to define it i want to look at what do we mean but then also kind of what are the missions and a little bit the marks of the church so when we say church what do we mean how do we define it I really do, I love my job. It's fun to study God's word. Part of in studying it, I'll kind of spend some time also thinking about culture and what is culture's understanding. And so I kind of ended up on a little bit of a rabbit trail and ended up kind of Googling most beautiful churches in the world. It was kind of fun to look. I mean, there is some doozies and you have Notre Dame or Notre Dame if you want to be a little more pretentious about it, right? And so... There are all kinds of ones, but this church, this building here in Columbia, stood out to me. Tell me, if you go on their website, the lead pastor is not Gandalf, right? (laughs) 
You imagine solicitors coming to Gandalf's church. He meets him on that bridge. You shall not pass. That's a Lord of the Rings joke if you're following. But look at that thing. That's kind of, you know, there was a lot of different lists, but that's the one that kept coming up. When I Googled most beautiful churches, what's the problem? There's a couple you might want to bounce around. Maybe like an allocation of funds. Like what does it take to add a bridge to your church? (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, denomination. Is that the right church? Is that a true church? I think there's a bigger, more simple problem at hand. That isn't a church. That's a building. And there's a big difference. When we talk about church, what are we talking about? And when we see that, how quick, how easy was it for us? Wow, what a beautiful church. And when you see a beautiful building, you say, what a beautiful church. But biblically speaking, instead of that image, what if that image came to mind? So we say, what is the church? I think a better question would be, who is the church? When the Bible's speaking, about church, it's talking about who. The biblical word is ecclesia. It is the called out assembly of God. It is the community of God. You can kind of define, I've heard a lot of different definitions. Here's the running definition I want to go with. The spiritual family of God's redeemed people. When you're talking about church, you must talk about who, not what. There's a couple different metaphors, but that's kind of one of the big metaphors all throughout Scripture and in the New Testament about the church. It is family. We, if you're a Christian, we are the church. It is God's redeemed people adopted into the family of God. Think who, not what. It is people. I love this quote from theologian Kevin Van Hooser. Because God is three persons in relationship. The only way we can realize the imago Dei, the image of God in humanity, is to form a community of persons in loving relationship. The church then is the community of God, not only because it has been created by the triune God, but because the church shares in the triune community itself. Right? Again, the flows, we look at God. God is Trinity. God is in relationship and community, if we are to bear the image of God, we are relational beings, and that is to be lived out in the church. The church is then also a reflection of the Trinity. So again, think who, not what. So as we define that, God's people, he uses the word community. I've heard some people use the word society. It is God's people, his spiritual family. So that being the definition, I do want to spend a fair bit of time, not just on the meaning, but because we've talked about it already, there are so many misperceptions when we use the word church. And I think it affects the way we interact as a church. So the first one, you know, again, I kind of Googled it, but I also went to the dictionary, kind of Merriam-Webster. Turns out Webster's a heretic. I don't know if he was a heretic or not, but every one of his definitions, I'm reading it, I'm kind of shocked. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. And that is the way we understand that word. 
Our culture, at least, understands that word. Without fail, you go to Oxford's Dictionary, you go to Webster, dictionary.com, the primary definition that we're handed as a church is a building for public worship. Now, as much as, you know, I heard a couple amens right at the gate, how ingrained is that in us, in our understanding? So when we say church, it is not this. It is this. But yet, how often will we do it? Even my son, you know, throughout the week, he'll say, Dad, can we go to the church to play basketball? I'm like, son, I love that you want to hoop. I'm game for that. But right, he's talking about this building. How many times do I say that and I'm referring to the building? From the earliest phases of our discipleship, we start to think church and building. I could prove it to you, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Look inside. See all the people. And I think I'm supposed to wiggle it, but that feels so vulnerable right now. It's like the same thing with the euchre in the barroom. People, that feels uncomfortable. So I'm not going to wiggle my fingers right now. What's the church? It's the building. How ingrained is that in us to think this is the church? So, I mean, man, there are ramifications, but at least I want to push ourselves to not use the word incorrectly to mean a building that's not what it is. Think about it this way. You know, you ever see, somebody just tell me they watch somebody get engaged. When's the last time you watch somebody get engaged, you know, and the woman's like, oh my gosh, look at this box. It's so velvety. Wow, this is, I love this box. The box houses the treasure. And now we can get from semantics or the real danger, how much about church is it about the business in the building i mean it's as simple as the difference between your family and your house do you get that difference right i think we can understand that but yet how many of you were raised in a family where having a nice house and nice stuff was more important than the family now i'm not here to talk the building right so most of you are in a family if you don't live outside, raise your hand if you live in a home. Seriously, raise your hand. There's like way more homeless people than I realize. <laughs> Are you grateful to have a dwelling? Yes. This is a wonderful tool for the church. This is a wonderful place for the church to meet. This is not the church. We, if you're a Christian, we are the church. We confuse them. But look biblically, it's the opposite, right? To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and the church in your house. See, church doesn't even have to have a building. You probably heard that term house church, right? You can meet anywhere. You can meet in a home, and there's a difference between what houses the church and the church itself. So I really want us to understand that and begin to challenge ourselves to see the people And if you're a part of this, to see yourself as the church. So understand it's not a building. This is also crucial as well. This is kind of the the secondary definition that would always come up. Public worship or a religious service. So when you said this morning, hey, it's time to go to church. How much of you were thinking building? But how much of you were thinking religious service? Now, 
that is definitely an aspect of the church. Right? And so even that word, the assembled gathering of believers, this is the assembling gathering of believers. So this absolutely is the part of the rhythm of the church. And I would even say a necessary rhythm that has always been a part of the spiritual family to gather weekly for a religious service. My problem with that is when church is just a service in your mind, when it is only attending a worship service once a week. But when we say church, we think I go attend a religious service one hour a week. That is a great, and I would even say necessary part of the rhythm, but that's not it. I know a lot of families, they kind of, that was my family growing up, big Irish Catholic family. Every Sunday, we'd gather down on Neville Island at my grandfather's house. How many families do that? Kind of the weekly gathering on the weekend. Well, not that many. We're very shy people, but we're all familiar with that kind of rhythm. Is that all that it means to be a part of a family, to meet once a week? I've actually been invited to some of those gatherings. So if I go have lunch with your family once a week, does that make me a part of your family? No. And even, again, some of the correction I want to have in mind, if you're not a part of this spiritual family, I want to encourage you to belong and be a part of the community. And if you're not there yet, we love where you're at. We want to see you move on that journey. But I would want to challenge you to think, Okay, am I a part of that church or do I just attend a service there? Because there is a difference. The spiritual family, you get in the New Testament, somebody counted. There's 59 one another's in there. Love one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens and on and on. Do you notice by and large, that's not happening here on a, on a service. So that's why we push so much of getting into community, getting into small groups, find a community group. In the fall, we'll launch Redemption 101. We're going to launch new community groups. If you want to be a part of the church beyond just attending a service, I would really highly encourage you to find a group where you can begin to live out the work of the church, the one another's. Don't just see church is once a week attending a service. So I think the church is far more than that. Last one I want to address, kind of misconception, is a particular group or denomination of Christians. How often are we using that word that way, right? The Baptist church, the Methodist church, the, and even maybe in our context, you kind of have, man, the, the super Christians that are on stage. Maybe you have the staff of the church and think of the danger of that. We're meant to be a body. Everybody plays their part. Not just people show up and consume from the church. We are the church. So I really want to, particularly as we're in the Apostles' Creed, as we think of the church, to not just think of, oh, that particular group. We're not in competition with other churches. Like Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches... We're not in competition. We're on the same team. So I really want us to push through that and not see it as a particular group or a particular denomination. And challenge us to think about it biblically. Again, a little bit more research. I want you to you know, get a guess in your mind. 
So I Googled how many churches in the world. That's my typing thing. What's your guess? 37 million. Now I did some more research and came up with a different number. That's about 36,999,999 off. As Jesus speaks about his church, look how he speaks about it in Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a word that kind of jumps out at you. It's repeated like seven, eight times. How many churches are there? Why don't you just say it out loud? How many churches are there? Now, there's one true church. It's a big family. There's tons of diversity within that church. All are invited to be a part of that spiritual family. Now, at some point, you're not a part of that family, right? When we get into that, when we talk about the big C church, spiritual family of God's redeemed people, all true believers for all time. That's Wayne Groom's definition. That word true believers is crucial. Now, just because church is on the sign, it doesn't mean it is a true church preaching the gospel. That's where theology matters, truth matters. As we go through the Apostles' Creed, man, here are the core truths that must be believed. Now, that's the big umbrella. Now, there can be a lot of minor things that you can debate, do differently, organize differently. But if you are a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church, there's only one. i got to address this again. Because, you know, the first couple times, or the first week, when we were reciting the creed, which we're doing weekly, said the Holy Catholic Church. And people were like, It's like, okay. And it made me realize, okay, you know what? I think that really isn't a great translation. And I use that word particularly. It isn't a great translation. So we were like, ah, it, it probably is much more clear to recite the Holy Universal Church. And then I did that. And another group of people were like, like, okay, all right. I think it was a good decision. Because we talk about... The Catholic Church, listen, that word means universal. And so when we get into that, somebody said, I can't believe you changed the creed. I promise you, I didn't change the creed. You know how I promise you that? I don't speak Latin. I wouldn't know how to change it. What we have, the creed wasn't written in English. It didn't exist. We have a translation that we're using of the creed. And I think this is a much more clear translation. If you want it to be Catholic, I think we're projecting our modern view of the current denomination back onto 120 AD. I don't think there's any way possible they could have been referring to the denomination of Catholicism, but I think the more important point. See, what is going on here in the Apostles' Creed, when they talk about the the Catholicity of the church, they're talking about the oneness 
So why would we take the unity and then take it to mean my distinction within that? So I feel very comfortable with that. So when we talk about the defining the holy, universal, the one unified church of God, there's a lot of bad definitions because we go with this definition. Even when you go in a dictionary, right, you kind of have one, two, three, four, and then kind of an A, B. Biblically speaking, when you get to the word church, there is a bit of an A-B to that definition. There's a little nuance. So there is the big C church, all believers throughout all time. The church, just like all you Buckeye fans. There's not many Ohio States. There's the Ohio State, which they trademarked somehow, the word the. I don't know how it happened, but there's the big church. But you can also speak in terms of lowercase c church. So the oneness, when Jesus says, I will build my church, all true believers throughout all time, but also does speak of specific believers gathering in a specific place. Maybe you've heard it kind of the invisible church and the visible church, the global church and the local church, right? We saw that with Philemon. You know, the church that meets in your home. He's talking about that specific church or the church of Redemption Chapel. We are a church, not to say we're the church. And you understand that distinction, you know, the the church of Laodicea. So the Bible will speak, okay, the church is God's people of the unified, but also kind of the local that meet specific believers gathering in a specific place. This becomes super important because I beg of you, Make sure these both apply to you. It is dangerous to separate these, and it happens all the time. Of course, make sure you're in the big C church. Now, maybe you've, through your life, have just defined church going to a service. We talked about that with just religion. Just because you're a part of a local church somewhere doesn't make you a true believer. If your whole life you've just been attending services and you don't have a real dynamic, like daily ongoing relationship with God. It's not about believing God. It's not about just going to services. It's about being in relationship with him. So I don't care if you've been in a lowercase c local church for a while. Are you a true believer in a dynamic relationship with God? Make sure you're both and for sure vice versa. Maybe you are a true believer, but how common is this? Maybe you've heard a lot of this, right? I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. Listen, if you're a true believer, the biblical picture is not to be a solo Christian. It is to be plugged in to a visible local church, a body where your gifts are being utilized. Do not be a lone wolf Christian. Get plugged in to a church, a local church somewhere. And I know it's hard, right? I mean, so many people have a lot of church hurt. Wounds from the church. We talk about misperceptions. So is this a truth or a misperception? The church is full of hypocrites. Probably true. (laughs) Right? Hypocrite just means what you say you believe and what it, in your life don't always match up. Isn't that true of you sometimes? You say you want to be loving. Are you ever selfish? Hypocrite. Right? Church is messy and it's hard and we've all been wounded. 
Like, oh, that church messed up. I don't want to go, right? And then you see, you know, you talk about finding that good church. And I'll go with one of the oldest kind of pastoral jokes around, right? Like, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Zinger! Because you're going to ruin it. I can't believe that took a minute. That joke has been used for like a thousand years. Right? People, oh, I don't want to go to church. There's so much. We have messy tattooed on our building. Right? It is the gathering. It is God's people, his spiritual family. And man, we have our bruises. We aren't perfect. But don't let that be an excuse to stay away from it. I remember hearing a pastor say it once. Right? A hypocrite is a small person. How small do you have to be to hide behind that person? But we do it all the time. God calls you to be plugged in and stop waiting. And it is true, right? Oh, that place, it's not perfect, so I don't want to go there. If you found a perfect church of perfectly loving people, would you feel comfortable there? No. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine Christian community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. It's not perfect, but it is the bride of Christ. It is his spiritual family, and he calls us to be a part of it. So I, instead of worrying so much about how messed up it is, again, think about that term, bride of Christ. How do you say, I love you, and I beat up your bride, right? Think about that. You come across somebody, and they're like, man, I love you. And you're like, hey, this is my wife. And that person's like, bam. You're like, we have problems. We do that to Jesus' bride all the time. Like, Jesus, man, I love you. And Jesus is like, this is my bride, the church. And you're like, it's a hypocrite. It's messed up. It's full of... And we bash the bride of Christ. We probably should ease up on that a little bit. So, we're called to jump in. And it is, I think, more straightforward. We're a called out people for a purpose. It's not a club just to have friends. And God is giving This group, this called out group, marching orders. It's laid out here in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the end of Christ's life and ministry. And here's our marching orders. As a church... Our mission, it's not to build schools. It's not to dig wells. It's to make disciples. Can we? Should we? Will we do some of those other things? Yes, but we have to keep the center of the bullseye lined in. This is our marching orders to make disciples. Man, I spent so much time, like, what's a great way to package this? And I came up with this. I don't know, maybe it sounds familiar, right? Also tattooed on our building. If this is the mission of Jesus' church, this better be the mission of this local church. To see people know Jesus personally. 
grow in relationship with him, and go advance his kingdom. That's what we're about. This isn't a club to get good Christian friends. God's hope for this world is the church to bring the truth of the gospel. This is the way we say it in our doctrine. We believe in the church, the body of Christ, whose mission it is to preach the gospel to all the world. We believe that the ordinances of the church given by our Lord are baptism and communion. We believe that baptism is a symbolic proclamation for those who have already been saved by placing their faith in Christ, which is best symbolized by immersion. You see that mission. See, the word church, this was fun. I I learned this in my study. Luke writes Luke and Acts. The life of Jesus, you don't see the word church. Jesus uses it once. But it's not till after the cross. And you see the centrality of the gospel in our mission. Our job, our job as the church is to proclaim the gospel of Christ to a fallen and broken, dying world, to bring the light and hope of Jesus. Yeah, we will get into other things. I know tons of Christians that bring clean water. That's a wonderful thing, but it's not the center of our mission. Now, will we do those things under the mission? Yes. Think of an army. You know, maybe has ever come a time where an army trying to win a battle will build bridges. Yeah. Is that their mission? No, it helps them achieve their mission. We're not called to watch Encanto. Are we going to watch Encanto? Yes. But it better be with our eye on the mission to achieve what God has for us. I want to close with one verse. I think it's just such a beautiful picture. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus uses the word for the first time church applied here in Matthew 16 where he says, I will build my church. Then with that he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What is a key? It's access. Oh, the key to understanding that. Now that opens it up to me. Now I can understand that. The key to a building. Now I can get into that building. Man, the church... Our mission to make disciples, to preach the gospel so people can have a relationship with God. I love that picture. I was listening to Tony Evans kind of talk about churches. They're kind of like embassies. You know, like an American embassy in another nation. I didn't know that. They were literally sovereign. It is not under the laws of that nation. It is under the laws of the nation it represents. And he was talking about churches being embassies, right? This world is pretty messed up. Like, doesn't it feel like hell is winning out there? And so God says, man, go, be the church, be a little embassy of heaven in this fallen world. Preach the gospel in the midst of all the darkness and brokenness. Let's be a little window into heaven in this place. Let's love like God calls us to love and then go advance to bring that hope of Christ to this fallen world. Don't just go to a church building. Be the church. Get connected to the community of the family here. We need you if we're going to achieve the mission that God has for us. 
It's fun, kind of our tradition throughout this series is to read it and proclaim it together. And I don't want to just read it together. I mean, as you stand, it is a bold proclamation of faith in the midst of this fallen world to say, this is what we believe is true. So I'd love it if you would stand. And like we have all throughout this service, let's proclaim what we believe to be true. Let's read the creed together, and then I will close in prayer. Church, let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the church. Father, would you forgive us for how often when we just beat up your bride? God, we the church, I mean that redemption chapel, I mean that the universal church. We have our blemishes, we have our issues. But I thank you that you call us into a family. God, that we don't do this alone. So as you have called us together, help us to be about your mission of making disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.